You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee. My name is Randy Bolender. And if you are comfortable, I would encourage you to probably just hit pause or maybe just delete. This week, we talked about the idea of Jesus as a pioneer. And we heard a couple of stories from people from within the Bridge family who have made significant changes uh, at a point later in life than most of their friends were willing to up and move. We talked about the idea that Jesus called us to follow, and follow means going somewhere. Uh, as I said in the message, this is not a message for your heart, it's for your head, shoulders, knees, and toes to get them moving, to get them to do what the Lord is calling you to do. So with that, here we go from Sunday at the bridge. Going to dive into uh, another freestanding message. We are in a season of fasting. If you're visiting with us the first time, we're as a church, we're fasting in various ways for 40 days. I think we're at about 28 now. Uh, you'd think I would know that to the exact digit, but I think that's about where we're at. And uh, really pressing into what the Lord is speaking to us. But in this season, having uh, kind of a series of messages that are not necessarily super connected to the others, but celebrating communion each week during this fast. So on the floor near some of you, you'll find a little bag with communion emblems. And I would encourage you to pass those around. Um, and we'll celebrate communion at the end of the service. But I just want this in your hand or near you as we talk. This morning, I want this to be both... Um, eternally impactful, but I really want it to be intensely practical. I want this to, to be something that you can, can really latch a hold on and that it can actually challenge you uh, in how you live on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, sometimes hearing from more than one voice is good. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be a pioneer and why that is important. But before I dive into that, I want to ask Sally, will you come up for a second and grab one of these or I'll just grab it. And where is Bruce? I'm going to have Bruce up in just a second. But I've asked these two to come up for a couple of minutes and tell us what went into their decision-making process or what kind of led them maybe to make a big move as an adult. Uh, you know, you have all these things when you're a kid that I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then you become an adult and you realize that options have limited. And it's harder to make a big move. And once Sally speaks, you'll understand she made a move from Australia. What, like, what factored in? How did you make that? Well, hi. Oh, hello. Hello, hello. I'm not sure this is on. I have a loud voice, so I can do this. Okay, we will persevere. Different it's, one? It's, there we go. Hello? Okay, I'm on. All right, so my name is Sally Good, and I am from Melbourne, Australia. Hello. Um, I see faces that I've known from different seasons. That's fun. So, I'm Sally. I'm from Australia. And this October, it will be 12 years since I moved wow. to the United States. Wow. And there was certainly a process, or as you guys say, process. <laughs> process. 12 years, you can now pronounce process. I can, That's thank awesome. you very much. And so there were, it, it was a big decision. I am now 41 years of age, so I moved when I was 30. And um, so I wasn't 18, just flitting around or... Not that 18-year-olds flit around, but you know they what I mean. Around, yeah. There was, I had a job. They flit, he says. Um, I had a job, and at the time, I was doing, I, my background is in youth pastoring. So I was a youth pastor at my local church for eight years, 
And I'd finished that up and I was doing a DTS, a YWAM DTS in Kona, Hawaii. And throughout this DTS, if you guys know what that is, it's like a discipleship training school where you do three months of like training and then three months of outreach. So I jumped into this school at 30, where most people are not 30, so I was kind of odd doing that anyway. And as I was in this, in this DTS, I started to get the heads up that there was a move coming. Now, I didn't really know where to. I was a little bit racist, and I'm gonna say it, against Americans. It's so weird. But growing up, we had this evangelist that would come and stay at my house growing up. He was American, he had a son who would bully me, right? So growing up, when you have one experience with one American, you hate all Americans. I mean, that's just the way that our hearts work, right? But lo and behold, here I am in America. I love Americans, don't worry. There's been a lot of forgiveness there. So while I was, while I was doing my DTS, I started to get a heads up, there's a move coming. And so I, I stepped out in faith and I said, to, I was working at a Bible school at the time, back in Australia, and I, I called my, uh, the dean of students that I worked for and I said, I think I'm supposed to leave my job with you. And he goes, okay, tell me more. And so I explained a little bit to him. And um, I said, I don't really know unto what, but I think I need to keep the time that I'm doing this CTS open-ended. Like I had an end date that I was gonna come back to Australia, resume my job, at the Bible school and I was also interning to become a life coach all those years ago. So um, I called both of those relevant bosses and I said, I think I need to quit. And they were like, I, I, that seems ridiculous. But my, the Dean of Students from the Bible school said, Sally, all we have is the voice of God. I feel like you're hearing from the Lord, so I'm gonna support you in that decision. So I kind of uh, loosened up my, my end date. And so I'm in, I'm in my DTS and then a, different, a few different things happen on my DTS. I'm hiking in Hawaii and I radically, uh, I, I break my tibia while I'm hiking in Hawaii. I'm sliding down a hill, this leg's in, the, in a tree stump, this leg keeps going down the hill. And, I, and all of a sudden I'm being airlifted off this island back to Australia. So I'm on, on my bed in Australia with my leg, with, I've got eight bolts, and I just start to engage the Lord. There were these events that were going on in my life that I, I, the Lord had my attention, right? I'm not saying He broke my leg. The Lord had my attention. And so I'm on my bed and I just start asking the Lord, what is next? What is next? And so I decide to quit all movies, watching all movies during that time, and I decide to just seek the Lord right? He had my attention. I'd, I'd left those two jobs. I was back in Australia with a broken leg, hadn't finished my DTS. And then I heard the Lord spoke, internal, audible, not with my own ears. And He said, Sally, come away with me and be a student of my heart. And I thought, come away. Now, I didn't have any come away language in my thinking. Like, I didn't have any, like, that That just was a weird thought. Come away, okay, like, that's cool. So he just kept saying, Sally, come away with me and be a student of my heart. And as I began to research different options, I'd met a girl in my DTS who was living at the House of Prayer, living in Kansas City at the International House of Prayer. And so the Lord just started to kind of continue to draw me, first in Hawaii, then in Fiji. I mean, the islands speak, don't they? I'll tell you what. So they, they were drawing me, they were drawing me. And so then um, I'd already had some, had some time left on my visa. So with my moon boot on, I packed my bags, 
Like a moon boot is the final stage when you break your leg. And I thought, I'm going to follow the voice of the Lord. I'm going to come away with God. I've already freed myself up with work, have a little bit of savings. I'm going to come and just check this out. And so I moved, I arrived in Kansas City, October the 31st, um, Halloween 2010. And I've stayed here since. That's my story. Okay, what I want you, thank you. What I want you to hear there is, she hobbles off the plane, like, you know, it's still uncertain. Like, right, terribly uncertain. Heard the voice of God, still uncertain. Okay, now Bruce is not from Australia. Bruce, uh, a little bit. Yes, they have Australians in their family. That's true, that's true. Then that's the segue I was looking for. Um, But Bruce and Becky have made a a couple of big moves uh, in life, start out in San Diego and then to Colorado, and then here at an age when most people were not moving. I'm not saying advanced age. Doesn't make sense. Right, right, right. Tell us a little bit what went into your, uh, your decision making here. Well, yeah, we, we, did, we came from San Diego to uh, Colorado, worked in a little town called Telluride uh, for about 14 years, a little ski town, and uh, really loved it there. It was my environment, my my vibe and uh, um, but as my my daughter got a little older she was really felt torn to uh, to do a missions project with YWAM and uh, called and back then they had this thing called King's Kids and uh, and so we kind of encouraged that and through that um, we kind of got the um, inspiration a little bit more about missions work and uh, so we ended up doing a, 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 a what they call a DTS, a discipleship training school. YWAM thread. Yeah. YWAM yeah. thread, the connection, and of all places, Hawaii. Yes. And so, yeah, we're in the, we figured if we were going to do it, we had to do it at the mothership in Kona. So, and so, um, anyway, but while we were there, uh, we um, we were going to a church that had a uh, a. I guess a couple or a couple of people from uh, IHOP come and do a little uh, conference, and it really set my son um, on fire. And so, uh, so we had a little connection there. But that was about it for me. It was about that was about it. It was it was really kind of neat. But when we got back home, um, I had met with a, f- a friend of mine earlier uh, during the summer uh, the, of the previous year, um, and he had talked to me about going on a missions trip to. Uh, Spain, of all places, and um, it was at a barbecue at his house, and I said, yeah, sure, you know, whatever, you know, and didn't think much about it and for, totally forgot about it. Well, my my older brother was uh, suffering from cancer out in San Diego, and I felt the need to go out and spend some time with him and do some work on his house just to kind of bless him, and so we made a tr- plan to, to drive out there, and on the way out, uh, I get a phone call from this guy saying, hey, are you still interested in going on this, this missions trip? And I said, what missions trip? <laughs> I totally forgot about it, you know. And uh, he goes, that one to Spain. And I said, oh, uh, uh, well, to be honest, I haven't even prayed about it. And so, uh, uh-oh. Because <laughs> we are one. Okay. <laughs> anyway, my color commentator here. Uh, anyway, uh, so... We're coming into into, uh, into Las Vegas. I get the phone call. So I said, okay, we'll pray about it. And so I, I didn't close my eyes, but um, 
and it's okay, uh, Bruce. Yeah, it's okay. You didn't close your eyes. And so immediately, the Lord says, "You need to go on this trip." And so, uh, so I get, the, but it would mean I would have to cut my time with my brother about a week short, which I didn't really didn't want to do, but I kind of want I wanted to be obedient. So we ended up doing that, and uh, it was around Thanksgiving. Anyway, long story short, we go to. Uh, we get we go on this missions trip to uh, Seville, Spain, and uh, it's the missionary there had this uh, olive farm, and uh, and so we would the, he was doing a, a uh, uh, retreat center for for missionaries in the area. Anyway, so we go there and we just I mean immediately the next day we, after we land we, we're from 6:30 in the morning to like 10 we're just working no breaks no lunch no no food. We were like, everybody like starving at about 10 o'clock at night. And he goes, oh yeah, I got to take you guys out to get something to eat. So we've been, you know, out in Europe, they, they don't eat till like 11. <laughs> it's really weird. And so, so we end up driving. So here's the deal. So we ended up driving to into Seville because he was out, of the, out in the country. And we're on the highway and, and I'm in the front seat talking with the, this missionary. And he asked me, so, so what's, what you, what's, what's going on? Are you, what's the Lord telling you? And he says, I, I told him that we were on a... Uh, you know, in this transition, and we're just praying about where the Lord wants to take us. And I and and so I was telling them, you know, some of the area. I didn't tell them where we were going, but because we were looking at three or four different locations. And I was asking them. I said, I just asking the Lord to give us a sign. And literally, as we're driving down the highway, I look up down the highway, and there's this big green traffic sign like we have here that says Kansas City with an arrow pointing <laughs> west. And I went. <laughs> And I'm like, I just stop. And I, I, every time I tell a story, I get these ones. Um, and so I, I just said, oh, my word. Um, I think I just got my sign. <laughs> I said, did that sign say Kansas City? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Kansas City and, and, and Seville are sister cities. That's what the plaza downtown is, is patterned after Seville, Spain. And so anyway, I come back and I call Becky and... Uh, you know, I said, I think we know where we're going. But meanwhile, she already knew where we're going. She was way ahead of the game on it. Yeah. So did you want to say something? Becky, you have any fact checks or clarifications? No, Bruce did an awesome job. He, he, he tells that story so great. It did get better when you came up, though. <laughs> but I just wanted to, to add just two things. The, when we were um, in San Diego, we were doing a Bible study called... Um, is it practicing the presence of God? Anyways, about hearing the voice of God. And we were young, under 30. And we just said, let's practice. And so we started practicing in, in the early 80s where in our community it wasn't being practiced. So everyone was watching us as we were taking steps of faith and God was meeting us. And so we put our house up for sale not knowing where we'd go. Because we're practicing. God, how are you going to meet us? Because I feel driven to walk a road that is real. Mm -hmm. That I have a story of God in, in, in both of us. We wanted a story of God in both of us. And so that's how San Diego started. And then in a suddenly God provided a job for Bruce in Colorado. Literally in one phone call, we were on the road the next day. So, um, so that was one point from San Diego is just the beginning of practicing hearing the voice of God. And then in Colorado, when we came back from our DTS, we knew that God was saying, 
that's not all I have for you. Just going and doing this school, you know, your kids, you know, our kids were getting ready to get married and go off. And he said, I have more for you if you want it. And so we, ner- we had just built our dream home. Um, Bruce had always had a dream to build a home. And he had built it a few years ago before. And we looked at each other and said, if we don't step out again, will we regret it? That we didn't go deeper. And so we did. We, we put that for sale sign in the ground and after five days of being home. And we had a journey with our kids to deepen their faith too, because this was about our children too, not just us. Mm -hmm. And so Bruce was in his mid forties at really the height of his career. Like Bruce was doing things that just lit his heart on fire as a builder. The creativity that God gave him and the favor that he had in, in Telluride was going to carry a generation more. Like he was not done, but Bruce, just felt like I'm willing to risk it if this means more. And so he did. And coming to Kansas City, or excuse me, the Lord said, go on an adventure. So we did. We went to several cities and we asked the Lord, is this a city you would have us move to? And if so, put $100 in the bank account in that city, just in faith. And so we did in Kansas City. And then our our lives kind of quickly shifted because Bruce then had to go to Spain. But um, I just wanted to add those little points mm-hmm. that led us, both of us, together. Thank you. Thank you. Give him a round of applause. Thanks, guys. You know, those stories make some of you nervous on behalf of other people. You know, like, the story landed well, and some of you are still like, how did it turn out? Because... The idea of making a move, be it geographical or just repositioning or a job or whatever, is so scary to you. And it's actually getting scarier the older you get. Maybe this is all newish to you, but you can bank on this. At some point, the Lord is going to extend his hand to you and say, let's go. And it may be geographical, maybe job-wise, maybe relational, maybe just a, as a move with him in your heart. But it's going to be different than it was. It's, it's the offer he extends to all of us. This morning I want to talk about uh, being called a pioneer when the world wants you to settle. And this is not some kind of ethereal message. I'm actually not preaching directly to your hearts this morning. I am preaching to your heads, shoulders, knees, and toes. Because the Lord wants you to be willing to move them and actually do something beyond just heart recognition. A person never has more options in their life than when you are born. And very quickly, they start limiting. You know, your mama brought you home from the hospital and they said, he could be president. By the time you're three, they're like, maybe a governor. By the time you're high school, they're, hoping, they're thinking maybe he'll go to college. You know, it's like they, just, they, they adjust expectations as reality reveals itself. And it's the same way with life. You grow older and older in your options. You make decisions and it gets harder and harder to make big moves. The nature of time and the winnowing of options is why Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. He said, be very careful then how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's like, no, no, these opportunities, they are not increasing, they are decreasing. So you need to be careful and make the most of each one of them. What I want to talk to you about this morning probably flies in the face of conventional wisdom a little bit because conventional wisdom is all about self-preservation. But we are not called to self-preservation. We're called to kingdom expansion. I actually love the YWAM thread at the bridge because the, the YWAM history, even in Kelsey and I, we're never YWAMers, but a number of times we have read that very dangerous book, Is That Really You, God? Every time we find that book, I start to twitch. Because reading that book, which is the story of hearing the voice of God and making crazy moves, it's preceded almost every crazy thing we've done in our lives. We're not called to, to self-preservation. We're called to kingdom expansion. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus never said, blessed are the safe. Nowhere in history have people played it safe and made the most of every opportunity. It's just impossible. 1803, on behalf of President Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe and Robert Livingston were dispatched to go make a deal. And they went and made what is probably the best real estate deal in all of history. They bought the Louisiana Purchase, basically everything west of the Mississippi. And they bought that entire tract of land for the price of 10 homes in Mission Hills, basically. 10 homes in Mission Hills, they bought the left two-thirds of the United States. Now, to be fair, it was a little bit of a vague deal. It wasn't clear if Western Florida was a part of the deal when they landed it. Turns out it was. Mixed emotions. But, you know. Also, it wasn't sure what the southern border was. They said you can figure that out with Mexico later. But this massive span of land became ours, and people started pioneering west. Between the years of 1820 and the late 1840s, 500,000 people came through Kansas City alone. There were other paths out west, 500,000 people. When I hear numbers like that, I, always, I ask weird questions. Like, how do you, how do you imagine 500,000 people on a wagon train? Now, I, I realize they came over years, but if they came all at once, imagine 500,000 people Ford of a wagon, does that seem fair? Could be two, could be six, I don't know, we're making it up at this point. Let's say Ford of a wagon, 25 feet per wagon, you know, oxen, wagon, 25, about. If they were all in one line and came at one time, by the time the last wagon came through Kansas City, the first wagon was in Denver. That's how long that line of people was. Now, they were failed business people. They were dirt poor farmers. They had escaped the Civil War. They left their extended families for a land with no roads, no services, no law, really, no QT, no government. They willingly pioneered and struck out for a new land that they didn't know what it looked like. And there were people who could not have imagined not going and then there were people who could not have imagined under any circumstances going. And those people did not understand each other at all. I think you see where I'm going with this. We are all on a journey in the spirit and in the flesh. And both history and scripture tells us that we cannot stay where we are. 
Yet it still strikes us as surprising when the Lord says something new is coming. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We celebrate the idea of the new even as we chafe against the old leaving us. Yay, the new is here. But oh, we had to surrender the old? We like the old. But everything that Jesus has ever done among people has been new to them. It's always new. Isaiah 43, 9, we read a lot around here. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. Can you make a way in the suburbs? Like, is there any way that your way could go anywhere that we're more comfortable? He's like, not and get out of here. No, we're going through the wilderness. When the Lord pledges to make a way, he has always brought people out through the wilderness. Some of us would be really content to keep one foot in the world and try and do this new thing. And we gradually look weirder and weirder. We can't do it. The life that we are called to is new. And yet we struggle with it. New is uncomfortable. We say we like it, but we don't. Even in the dumbest little ways. They reoriented our target three years ago. I'm still a little bitter. I still go in there. This is not the way my, this is not my old target. It's like three years. It's not coming back, okay? We get irritated when target moves the soap. Wait till he messes with the stuff in our heart. And moves around things in our heart, moves around our circumstances, moves us maybe from San Diego to Colorado to Kansas City, moves us, okay, how do you like new now? We don't like when Target reorients things and we're actually really saying, Jesus, change everything. <laughs> no, we're not. Change, even good, can be overwhelming. Even God-orchestrated change can just be a wave. And some change isn't even God-orchestrated. And it still is used by the Lord. Sally said it. The Lord didn't break her ankle. But the Lord used that. Joseph said to his brothers, who had trafficked him, sold him to slave owners, what you meant for evil, the Lord used for good. Some of you right now are going through incredibly difficult times that are forcing change in your lives. And nobody is saying what you're going through is the will of the Lord. However... He will use that, and the new that comes out of it actually is beautiful. God and his people have always talked about life in terms of travel and of motion. God is always pushing us to pioneer. And when we settle, we miss it. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Apparently, we're going somewhere. We're running, we're shaking off things, we're pursuing Jesus. And if you'll read this in different versions, you may have learned it differently. You may have learned it as the author and perfecter of our faith. A lot of versions say it that way. The Greek word there that is translated is archegos. Some versions say author. Archegos. It is made up of two words. An original being 
and one who takes the lead. When I look at that and I think of an original being like none other who takes the lead, Jesus, he's an author of our faith, but I'm telling you, he's a pioneer. I think it's really a better translation. When we hear author, we think of someone sitting at a desk writing things, which can be profound. But Jesus, as an author, kind of makes him out the world. He's like, oh, he's a blogger. Oh, nice. (laughs) Jesus is not a blogger. Jesus is a pioneer. It was his nature, and he never hid it from people. When he approached those that he called to be his disciples, what did he do? Here's a pamphlet I wrote. You might like it. I'm an author. No, no. He looked at them in groups of ones, twos, and threes and said, come follow me. Where are we going? I'm not telling you that right now. I promise you, if you went fast forward six months into the lives of the disciples and you would have asked them, did you know what you said yes to? Zero out of 12 would say, yes, I fully understood. No, I said yes to a man who said, come follow me. He still speaks to us and says, come follow me. Let's go pioneer. Let's go do something we haven't done. Let's go someplace we haven't been. Let's be people we were not. And it's going to be different, but it's going to be him. For centuries, we have described land as terra firma. You've heard that? Okay, terra firma, the solid, the ground. You can build on it. It's solid. It doesn't shift around. 20 years ago, I heard... Christian thinker and speaker Len Sweet use a phrase that has never gotten out of my head, terra incognita. (laughs) Land, but you don't know what's there. It does not even exactly what you thought it was when you got there. It's where we get the word incognito, disguised. It's a little different than when we thought. James was trying to prepare us to navigate terra incognita, When he wrote James 1 and 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's like, yeah, I know some of the trials that I have faced, but I don't even know the trials that I'm going to face yet. So I'm just going to lump them all into trials of various kinds because it is really terra incognita. He didn't even bother to list them. Could James have imagined the cultural landscape that we live in? Could James have imagined The idea of gender fluidity that we are beginning to have to have discussions about and our children are having discussions about. Could James have imagined some of the biotechnical challenges that we face? Could James have imagined a connected globe that we live on? He said, no, no, prepare yourself for trials of various kinds because it is not terra firma, it's terra incognita. You don't know where you're going. But I still say, come follow me. When we understand that we're on a journey with a pioneer for a leader, in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in with all this upheaval, we realize we are going somewhere and we are in a place in life where we cannot stay where we are. Because what seemed risky is probably the safest thing we can do. It's to follow Jesus. Hebrews 11, 8. Abraham by faith, obeyed when he was called. Where was he called to? He had no idea. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. 
I was watching some of you listen to Sally and Bruce and Becky, and it, it made some of you nervous. How did they say yes, not knowing how that story ended? We're all called to say yes, not knowing how the story plays out. That's what pioneering is. Do you think anybody passing through Kansas City in the 1840s had a clue exactly what they were stepping into? But all they knew is they couldn't stay where they were. A couple of things that all pioneers need to consider, that we need to consider. Preparation and navigation. I'm going to talk about those two things real quick. Preparation. Preparation is a major theme of the New Testament. In Luke, Jesus tells them, stay awake at all times. Be prepared for the things that are going to take place. First Peter tells us, prepare our minds for action. Second Timothy says, be prepared to tell the story of Jesus at all times. Aside from the gospel, the message of the New Testament is prepare. Prepare your hearts, prepare your families, prepare your community for where you are pioneering. Prepare for where I'm calling you to go. After loving Jesus and loving others, the main activity of a believer should be summed up with the word prepare. Things will not always be as they are. And according to scripture, as we are wired, we are unprepared for what is coming. So he says, come to Jesus, love others and prepare. Now, some of you, when it comes to take a journey, you love to prepare. You actually like the preparation more than you like the journey. You start packing for a three-day trip 10 days in advance. And you just love it. Not everybody prepares that way. We've talked about terra firma, terra incognita, but I want to talk briefly about terra nova. Now, terra nova was not an idea. Terra nova was an expedition. I introduce you to two explorers here. The first is Ronald Amundsen. The year was 1911. Amundsen was Norwegian and he managed to guide a group of men all the way to the South Pole and back. Now simultaneously and unknown to one another, there was another group going led by, or led by Robert Falcon Scott, who was British. Of these two guys, most of you know way more about Robert Falcon Scott than you do Amundsen. Even though Amundsen succeeded and Scott failed. The reason you know more about Scott is he's more quoted because he spoke English. Everything Amundsen said he said in Norwegian, we never bothered to figure out what he was talking about. But Falcon Scott is way more famous, however, failed miserably and failed before he left. Because he prepared badly. Robert Falcon Scott decided that he didn't want to take sled dogs. Because he'd taken dogs on a previous trip, and because he had fed them dried fish and they didn't like it, they all got sick and died. So he said, no dogs. He was also afraid that the dogs would pull the sledges too fast. And he knew that he had never trained his men to ski. So because he didn't have dogs and he didn't train men to ski, instead he brought two other kinds of disaster. Ponies and motorized sledges. The ponies promptly died. They unloaded the three sledges, one broke through the ice and disappeared to God knows where. The other two wouldn't operate in the cold temperatures. It should also be noted at this point that he had left the designer and mechanic for the sledges in England. This left his men to pull the sledges, 
which they packed incorrectly and had to repack every night, causing them to use way more calories than he had accounted for. And he had accounted for four men, but brought five. How do you go to Antarctica and not bring enough chicken nuggets? Like how on earth do you not do the math on that? He also used faulty fuel canisters, which became unsealed and drained just like they had on his previous voyage. And instead of reducing weight, because he had a geologist on the expedition, they kept picking up rocks along the way and making the sledges heavier. 37 days into their journey, they discover an abandoned camp from Amundsen's people and realize that not only were they failing miserably, they were behind. Amundsen made it all the way to the South Pole and back in 99 days, lost nobody. At that point, Robert Falcon Scott's men began to die. They buried them in igloos along the way. None survived because they were ill-prepared. How do we prepare for pioneering, for going anywhere God wants us to go in the moment what do we do ahead of time to make sure we're ready for that? Going back to Scripture, and uh, to Hebrews, the original passage, 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so in easily entangles. We think about throwing off sin. He says, no, you have to throw away some things that entangle you that aren't even sin. They're slowing you down. Well, I don't think I've got sin in my heart. No, but you have baggage. You're carrying some stuff with you. Hindrances that slow you down. And they don't give you the freedom to do what God's called you to do. Some of you feel, oh, I wish I had a prayer life, but I just, my life is too full. If your life is too full for a prayer life, your life is too full. It's what you're called to. You're adding rocks. Oh, I, I wish I could spend time in the Word. I'm just too busy. Well, then you're just too busy. You have to unload some rocks. Those who understand their calling as pioneers will move heaven and earth to make space in their schedule to hear from the Lord. Identifying sin is easy. It's harder to define these things that just slow us down because they're dear to us. I watched a Western recently at our house alone. That's how you watch Westerns at my house. But I watched this Western and this guy was leading this group of people on the Oregon Trail and it was going terribly. And the trail boss was furious with them. In a fit of rage, he went from campfire to campfire to try and stir them up to get them moving a little faster. He discovered that all of their wagons were terribly overloaded. One man had brought a piano. He says, you can't take a piano on the Oregon Trail. And his friends came to defend him and said, you have to understand, he's a trained musician. This is who he is. He's going to need this when he gets there. The trail boss says, he's not a musician right now. He's a pioneer. And all he's going to be is a pioneer until he gets to Oregon. And then maybe he gets to be a musician again. Friends, right now, all we are is pioneers. And some of us are carrying baggage related to our identity and it's slowing us down. This man's affection for his own identity and who he was might have cost him his life. If you look at scripture, those people who got closest to Jesus were really quickly to unload everything. 
John the Baptist said, I've got to decrease because he's got to increase. I'll unload everything and make much of him. Paul wrote in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. Christ lives in me. If you want to prepare to go where you have never gone before, you've got to unload the wagon. And maybe it's not a piano, but maybe it's hurts or it's anger or it's bitterness. And you're like, I don't think it's sin because I'm actually justified. You might be, but it's killing you. Get it out of the wagon while you still can. Romans 6, 8 says, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. If we surrender all of that stuff that we think we have to take on the journey, we might make where we're going. Preparation is key to any pioneer. Second thing is navigation. Used to make a solo drive multiple times a year from North Dakota to Springfield, Missouri, back and forth to college, three essential items, coffee, uh, a big suitcase thing full of cassette tapes. Remember those? Before streaming, kids, we had to bring our music with us. So I had coffee, my cassettes, and an atlas. Some of you have to go to the Smithsonian to see an atlas. Before Google Maps, they, they, they would print the internet, and you would haul this thing with you, and it was huge. You could easily navigate from North Dakota to Springfield using this, this big atlas. But I read something earlier this week that triggered a thought for me. A pioneer, a pioneer relies on a compass more than a map. Because where you're going, there's no map. You don't know what's at the next exit. You don't know what's at the next move. So you're provided with a compass. Terra incognita, territory unfamiliar, like we find ourselves in right now, and like what he is calling us to, demands a compass. A good navigator can take a compass and find a point and can get there. Say, what is our key point? Friends, this is it. Our key point in navigating where the Lord is calling us to is the point of truth. The very first appearance of Satan in Scripture involves an attack on the truth when he says, did God really say? Is that, is that really what God said? That spirit of accusation against the truth started strong and has increased across the earth with the rapid expansion of communication. Over and over again, truth is under attack. I sound like some crazy lunatics when I say that who's got a, a radio show from his basement, but it's true. How many times in the recent years have you heard someone refer to as my truth? Well, I understand the facts, but let me tell you my truth. Many of those people are hurting and they've got a perspective. They're, they, they are uh, valued and they need to be heard. However, nobody gets their own truth. There is just truth. You can have your opinions. And in this country, you're offered a great latitude in sharing those opinions. But truth stands on its own, with or without our acknowledgments. So if we're going to navigate terra incognita, Lord, we don't know what you're calling us to. Lord, I'm at an age where I didn't think I was making these big moves, but big moves are being forced upon me. Lord, I, you know, I kind of figured by this time we'd be settled in somewhere with a nice building and everything in church would be a little bit more normal. We don't know. This is terra incognita. What, what? Okay, focus on truth. And everything else navigates from there different meanings to them and get away with all kinds of things. Words have to mean the same things. Otherwise, you book a honeymoon to Paris and end up in Kentucky. Okay? 
because of Paris there too. You have to read the fine print and words have to mean the same things. This is how twisted this is getting with the word justice. Things are being paraded under the banner of justice that are unjust. And because they're telling us it's justice to come against it. Oh, you don't believe in justice? No, I don't believe in what you're calling justice. In Maryland right now, there's a bill. SB 699, the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act. Introduced February 4th of this year. And it is under the banner of reproductive justice. This is what it says. You cannot investigate anybody who is terminating or attempting to terminate a pregnancy or experiencing a miscarriage, perinatal death related to failure to act or stillbirth. What does that mean? Perinatal failure resulting from failure to act. It means neglecting a child until they die, up until 28 days. According to how the law is written, you could bring, a home, bring home a baby, decide you didn't want it, and starve it. That's technically what, under the banner of re, what's reproductive justice. It's not justice. We have to be really careful about the words that we use. Because words have meanings, and we're going to navigate by the truth and the truth of what words mean. Psalm 86, 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. We can't pioneer on different truths, friends. We can't move forward in God and not agree in some really clear things. We end up going different directions. Or worse yet, we end up just a few degrees apart. And then years down the road, we realize we don't see this the same way. Amos 3, 3 says, the two walk together unless they have agreed to meet. Where do they meet? They meet at truth. John 8:32 says, "You will know the truth and the truth will set you free." This is my pledge to you, okay? As a church family, come what may, whatever happens, we're not going to compromise on what truth is. What it says in the Bible and what has been agreed upon for thousands of years in church history. We're just not going to budge on that. Now, Everybody who navigates as a pioneer has that one guiding star, but they pick other points as well to navigate by. And multiple people can get to that point of truth and have different paths to get there. If we all talked about how we got here, we all came here different ways today. Those other points that we have to navigate by as individuals are our own personal gifts and callings. The things that the Lord calls you specifically to do that you have to figure out and how, how that all works. And gifts and callings can differ from person to person. We all have a general calling. We're all called to holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. So we're all called as a body to be holy. It's preeminent in our lives. But we also have these different callings that mean you might get called to do something else. Okay? Example, in our family, for us personally, our calling was that we should adopt. That was, we felt like that was from the Lord. It's not a calling that everyone has. But we have found that when you radically answer a calling, you make other people nervous. Do you think that we should do that? I never said that. You have to give people room for having their own specific callings. 
and for them to develop that and for them to make radical, crazy adjustments to their life to meet the calling that God has placed on their lives. And you have to give them space for that. There are family callings that we have to work out as a family without imposing our callings on other people. Scripture says far less about individual callings than you might imagine. It talks about faithfulness. We're all called to that. Now, I want to say less about this than I did about our pursuit of the truth or our individual callings. But giftings and callings can vary widely. Your gifting that you were given was never meant to magnify you. It was meant to help you navigate what the Lord calls you to do and to bless others. And we steward the call of God in our lives as we pioneer into whatever is next. Now, the last couple of years for all of us have been like a, a reset, haven't they? Like some of you have asked questions about all kinds of things you've never asked questions about before. Do we, do we, do we, do we? It could very well be that the Lord has you in this do we, do we, do we phase of life because he's getting ready to answer you. And that answer may be looking like something you've never thought of doing before. It's pioneering. I want to ask if our musicians would come up and if someone would get me a, a communion piece. Now, like I said, this was not so much a, a heart message. This was head, shoulders, knees, and toes. This was the Lord's calling some of you to move in a radical way. And it, and it may have nothing to do with geography. It may be your job. It may be a move of your heart's position because you have positioned it against someone. But it feels very foreign to you. And let me say, whatever is in your mind right now, if you think that's the end all and that is the end of the new, Jesus himself giggles. Because the rest of your faith walk is going to be new. But it doesn't have to be boring. Stand with me if you would. I want to pray over you really quick here. And I want to just take a moment and we can just worship for a moment. And then we're going to receive communion together. Father, I ask that as we consider what it means to be a pioneer. To walk in places we've never walked, make decisions we've never made, that you would draw near to us. You would give us great strength. Lord, when you look at us and say, come follow me, that we would say yes, enthusiastically. In Jesus' name. Let's worship for a moment. There is no greater call
we come to you and we say you can have it all. Lord, right now there are no corners of our life where you are not welcome. There's no plans that we have that you are not authorized to dismantle. There's no idea that is too big for you to plant in our heart right now. We just open ourselves and we say, will you take it all, Jesus? We say yes as pioneers. Father, we cannot stay where we are. We want more of you. We want the fullness of what you are planning for us as a church family, as individuals. We want it all, Jesus. Right now, some of you, the Lord is speaking to about new things. Just make space in your heart for that. You don't need to understand it all right now. Just say yes to it and let him develop it in your thought. Some of you he's speaking to about radical generosity. He's even brought to mind something specific. Just say yes to that and let the details sort them out. First thing a pioneer ever says is yes. So Lord, we say yes to you and we trust you to help us sort it out as we go. Lead us, Jesus. We cannot stay where we are. John 6, 53 to 58 says, Jesus said to them, very truly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Father, we want to remain in you for the entire journey as we step out in faith. And so we hold up our, our bread, our representation of your body. We say thank you for laying your body down on our behalf. We receive the benefits of your broken body, healing, wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the bread. And Lord, as we open the juice, and we remember your blood running down the cross, little crimson rivers pooling at your feet.